Hey guys, welcome to episode 59 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So before we get started, we wanted to thank everyone who left us reviews, especially those reviews on iTunes and Podbean. They were especially nice, so we appreciate that. No, we always do, and I, I really live for the reviews. Whether or not they're good or bad, I still enjoy them because we can learn from them. I agree. We definitely try to take it in stride and not so personally like we used to in the beginning. I mean, five stars is always great. Five stars, guys. Five stars. That definitely helps. And again, like we always say, we couldn't be more thankful for our listeners out there. We really think that and feel like we have the best listeners in the world because you guys are so supportive and we love talking to you. So again, if you ever want to reach out to us, you could do so on Instagram or Twitter. We don't really have a Facebook page because when I I tried to start one, for some reason it was suggesting, because I guess I follow former students on my personal Instagram page. It was requesting, like it was my former students were popping up on the Facebook. So I was like, oh my God, let me just delete this thing. That's not working out too well. So that's really the reason we don't have a Facebook page is because I still have to stay kind of as anonymous as possible. Yeah, incognito. Yes. (laughs) So again, we just want to remind listeners to submit their creepy stories to us at truecrimecouple at gmail.com. Again, they don't have to be ghost stories. They could just be something strange that happened to you or a local legend from your hometown. We really love hearing from you. And actually, throughout the years, we've made really great friends through people sharing their stories with us. So... If we do feature you and your story on the show, you're going to receive an Amazon gift card from us. Again, you can send those stories to truecrimecouple at gmail.com until October 25th, as we're going to be releasing that episode on October 27th. Okay, so are you ready for today's episode? Let's do it. Today, we are traveling down to sunny Florida to talk about the seemingly perfect kind family. But like all families, what they project and the reality within their walls were two completely different things. And in 2010, all of their problems would be revealed in this ongoing whodunit case that involves two murders, a successful appeal, and continued outrage as the killer has yet to be brought to justice. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. In 2000, William Kine was killing the game. He worked in real estate, both sales and development. And in the United States, housing prices were beginning to hit their ultimate peak in the early 2000s. And this was bad for the buyers, but wonderful for anyone who worked in real estate, as their commissions were at an all-time high. Some buyers, looking to avoid the heavy cost of an already built home, would look into building their own home on lots that were very inexpensive. And at this time, Florida was totally the place to be, if you worked in real estate. There's a great variety in the types of homes on the market, from trailers to luxurious mansions on the intercoastal, and... The land was quite literally dirt cheap, so there was a lot of construction going on. William Kine was happy to ride the wave of the United States housing bubble, and he wasn't shy at all when it came to flashing his money around the town of Seminole. However, he was becoming a bit of a lonely man. 
His wife had just died in a terribly tragic accident, and he had his 13-year-old son, Jeremy, to raise, all on his own. One day, William's luck and love changes, when he's eating his lunch. As he sits at his table, he can see into a nail salon across the street, and in an almost Cinderella-like moment, the wealthy real estate developer walks into the salon and sweeps not a customer off her feet, but the nail technician working closest to the window. Her name is Diane Morton, and she's gorgeous. Those who knew her described her as being a bubbly person, who always had a smile on her face. She was outgoing and always seemed to be the center of attention. The two quickly fall in love. They have so much in common. They're both single parents to 13-year-old boys, and they love going out and traveling. Soon after the pair began dating, they chose to move in together and get married. Diane quickly gets caught up in the lavish lifestyle of her husband. The once struggling single mother now has luxury cars, expensive jewelry, and clothing. Now, Diane was always one to keep up her appearances, but now she's able to do so with designer labels. At first, things are really great for the kind family. William's son, Jeremy, gets along very well with Diane's son, Kevin. Although the two seem to have two different friend groups, they play together well at home especially when they're outside playing sports. However, as is only natural, there always seems to be an unspoken competition going on between the boys. William and Diane were aware of this as well, and sometimes, unfortunately, it would creep into their marriage. But again, blended families are always a little complicated. Kevin, who's Diane's son, tended to have a bit of a temper, And that was always a little bit difficult for William because even though he's the male figure in the house, he didn't really want to discipline Kevin. He left doing that to Diane because that was her son. And he felt as the stepfather that he didn't know what to do. He didn't want to be too tough on Kevin because he didn't want Kevin to have negative feelings for him. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when you have a family like it's like kind of like the Brady Bunch, like There's certain lines you don't want to cross. I could see being Kevin, you don't want to reprimand someone else's child, even though you're you're married to the mother. It's kind of hard. I feel like there's a lot of lines you don't want to cross. It is. I feel like um, being a step-parent can be so difficult at times because you really are, especially if your spouse has full custody, you're ever-present in that child's life and you've taken over a role in raising them. So it's hard when it comes to the discipline because you don't know what to do, but then you feel like you should have the ability to do it, but then you don't want to step over that boundary. It's complicated. It is. And also it's just like, um, it's harder at 13 where if the child was younger, maybe it would have, you know, from a earlier age, it would have been better, but to get somebody in their teenage years, that's even worse. (laughs) Yeah. Cause Teenagers are already difficult, so to add that to the mix kind of make things makes things a little bit more complicated. Absolutely. But again, blended families are always unique to their own situation. So I feel like this may not be the case in all situations, but in this situation with a kind family, Kevin was very aggressive and he had a temper, especially with his mother. So William felt very uncomfortable with that. But he also didn't want to step in because William himself has a temper. So I feel like maybe he doesn't want to step in because he's afraid of what would. Like I said before, you never want to 
be in a position where if you make the wrong move, you can't go back. You can't go back, and then you're going to have multiple people mad at you. You're going to have the child mad at you, and you're going to have your wife mad at you. (laughs) Yeah. So let's just put that like on the back burner, but that's definitely the dynamic in the family is that Kevin has a temper, so does William, and the two kind of try to avoid their tempers crossing. But I don't want you to think that this stopped William and Kevin from bonding. They did have a really good relationship and Kevin did appreciate having William in their lives and the changes that William brought to their lives because they were struggling before his mother met William. So on his 18th birthday, as a sign of gratitude and respect for William, Kevin actually chooses to change his last name to Kine. Wow. I mean, that, that takes a lot. No, it's a, it's, I think it's a big sign of respect. Absolutely. And it shows that there had to have been, in those five years' time, a significant bonding between the two men. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's definitely the, um, I guess, like a, an olive branch, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. So as the boys grew up, they became more and more different. Jeremy chooses to follow in his father's footsteps and go into the still-booming construction field. He starts his own business with the help of his father, of course. However, because the market for building homes is still doing so well in 2004 and 2005, because that's when Jeremy starts his company, his business, especially because of William's contacts, is going to explode. And it gets to the point where he has so many jobs coming in that he's filled for two full calendar years. And to own your own construction company and have bookings for two full years, I mean, that's a gift. That's unheard of in well, self-construction. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it helps you. It helps the people that you're employing. It, it, does, it just does dividends for everybody involved. Yeah, because then you can get really good quality workers because they know that they have a solid job for two years. So then you're getting people that are really dedicated to you and the business and making sure the quality is good. So that only makes it better. So Jeremy's doing awesome. And he's actually able to pay his father back for the startup cost of his company. So I'm sure that was a proud moment for both father and son. Definitely. Well, during this time, Jeremy meets a wonderful girl named Tina, and the two begin dating. William and Diane could not be happier for the man that Jeremy was becoming. Kevin, on the other hand, was taking a little bit more of a difficult path. He chose not to start a career after high school, or go to college. And I can imagine that's very difficult for um, a parent to hear because, now listen, college is not for everybody. But if you're not going to college, your parent, as a parent, I would assume you want to hear some type of plan like trade school or the starting of a career or some type of apprenticeship. But Kevin kind of didn't have a plan and he told his parents he wanted to find himself. And as his parents, William and Diane, understood that maybe Kevin's path was a little different, and as described by others and Kevin himself, he just wasn't driven or smart enough, he felt, to kind of pursue those things yet. He needed to find his way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I could relate to that. You know, I mean, some people just feel like they are just not smart enough to take the road that's traveled by most, you know, I mean, I feel like that was me. I felt like I, I took the harder road, um, but it worked out for me. But sometimes it doesn't work out for everyone. So I can understand that trying to find yourself. Yeah. And that's a scary time because, you know, you want to know that you have a future, but you're 
not sure what it is. And the unknown is always what's what's really scary. I agree. So he asked William and Diane if he was able to stay home while he figured it all out. And the couple agreed to do so. At first, Kevin was a great help around the house, doing chores and keeping out of trouble, especially by going to one of two part-time jobs that he had. But eventually it's going to fall down to one part-time job. But according to what will come out in court documents, this time of bliss was short-lived within the kind family households. And we'll get into that as soon as we are done with a word from our sponsor. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. So there were times that Kevin would get explosively angry with his mother when they disagreed on a topic. It seemed like the biggest topic of dispute between Kevin and his mother was the use of the computer that the family shared. He would get violent around the house, throw things, scream, and sometimes push his mother. And it was during these episodes that William would try to get involved. Because, I mean, something to know is that Diane was a tiny woman and Kevin is... He's a big kid, so he definitely overpowered his mother so easily. So him getting violent was very intimidating to Diane. So William felt like he needed to step in, and sometimes Jeremy did as well. Oftentimes, Kevin would try and provoke William and Jeremy into hitting him. Kevin also had a history of calling police when fights would break out in the household, even if he was the aggressor in the dispute. Local police grew accustomed to visiting the kind residents. And on most reports, the police warned Kevin that if he continued to call them out there for no reason, that they would eventually have to arrest him. So it seems like Kevin is becoming somewhat of a troubled child within the kind household and that it's really affecting the rest of the family in a pretty negative way. Oh, definitely. But it does at the same time seem like they're being supportive of him. So it's it's very complicated, but... I feel like at that age, it's really hard, I mean, to discipline a child because now we're talking about someone who's who's over 18, but now they're still living in your house. So you can you still discipline them? Like it's very, especially when they're twice your size. If you were to ask my dad, he would say, you're still living under my roof. So my rules apply. I know, but you're different than Kevin Kine. Well, oh, absolutely. I think that the biggest thing here is Kevin is a big kid. He kind of intimidates his mother. It puts the father in a very awkward position. So is the stepbrother in a very awkward situation. It's It seems very volatile. So yes, they, they are supporting him. But I feel like there's only so much that you can do when it's it, everything's being controlled with fear and intimidation from Kevin to his stepfather and his mother. Right. It's almost like he's ruling the house. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Dr. Phil would have a field day with that. He would. So to say the very least, the kind family who seemed so perfect to the outside world, especially during their weekly dinner outings to Soto Steakhouse, where William and Diane had their first date, definitely had some cracks in their foundation. The fact that Jeremy was doing so well while somewhat troubled Kevin was still being mainly supported by his parents, whom he fought with more and more often, was beginning to weigh on the marriage of William and Diane quite heavily. But what will finally break the fragile string holding the family together will be the housing bubble that began in 2006. Remember when we said the housing market was super high, so that meant real estate agents and developers like William were making a lot of money? Well, people were not able to afford these houses, but they bought them anyway. 
Families hoped they would be able to put as little down as possible on these high market homes and just pray they'd be able to cover the mortgage. But more and more families were not being able to make those payments, and it sent adjustable mortgage interest rates skyrocketing, making things even worse. This caused many homes in the United States to go into foreclosure. The prices of houses, even the ones not in foreclosure, are going to dramatically drop, and all construction is going to come to a screeching halt as the country moves towards the recession of 2008. One of the millions of families that were affected by this were the kinds. They were used to a very lavish lifestyle, but now they barely had any money coming in at all. All excess spending had to come to an end, which was only going to exacerbate the problem that already existed within the family. In order to help bring in extra money for her family, Diane begins an eBay business where she buys and resells goods for more money. However, to do this, she needs to dedicate a whole room in her house to all the items that she has purchased, making the house feel even tighter. So when you do have a problem with a family member and there's a lot of fighting in a household, the smaller that household becomes, the more fighting starts. And I think that the fact that they don't have all this money coming in is going to highlight the fact that Kevin is doing nothing to help the family. He's actually a detriment to the family when it comes to finance finances. Yeah, and it also kind of, not having that money, it pretty much makes that lifestyle that you've been accustomed to for many years kind of cease to exist. And that also is going to put stress and pressure and put people against each other. I mean, it's just, it's normal to happen that way. Of course. Some of the biggest problems in families are financial struggles. And here, this one doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. So it's really stressful for the kind family. Yeah. At the same time, Kevin begins to develop chronic headaches. Eventually, he says he cannot go to work because they get so bad. This causes him to lose his job. William and Diane are at their wit's end, and they tell Kevin that they cannot continue to support him and he can't live in their house if he's not contributing to the bills. Money is too tight to be supporting their now 21-year-old son. They tell Kevin that he has one month to find a new job or else they're going to kick him out of the house. And when that one month is up, Kevin still did not have a job. William and Diane stuck to their promise, and they asked Kevin to leave the house. I mean, I think that's probably one of the hardest decisions that collectively, as the stepfather and the mother, had to make. But I think it's even more so for the mom, because that's your child. But I guess you would have to do what you think is right in order for them to make the decisions on their own. Right, to become an adult. Your goal as a parent is to create an independent child so they can eventually live on their own and be able to support themselves. But if you do nothing but support your child, especially at the age of 21, where they would be, if they went to college, coming into the time where they were graduating from college, you have to let them go and try and do this on their own. And it seemed like Kevin maybe needed a push. Yeah, but sometimes that push can literally send them over the edge. Correct. You know what I mean? Sometimes when you give people ultimatums, it's not always a good thing. (laughs) No, no. Ultimatums never really end up being a good thing. No. While Kevin was spending his time sleeping on the couches of friends, Jeremy and his girlfriend Tina fell on hard times as well. 
They asked William and Diane if they could come live with them until they got back on their own feet. William agreed to let them stay. Now, this is really interesting because as they're forcing Kevin out of the house, oh, we can't support you. We don't have enough money to do that. They're now accepting not just Jeremy into their home, but also Jeremy's girlfriend. So there's no way that this didn't cause tension in the marriage of William and Diane. Definitely. The only thing that I would like to say, though, is that William probably said to Diane, well, at least if they come live with us, they'll do what they have to do to try to, you know, um, support the rest of the house. Yeah, the two of them are working. Right. Yeah. But I think that Diane was a little nervous letting her son go into the world because, I mean, from, from what it seems from an outside perspective is that Kevin doesn't have the skills necessary to be an independent person. So that's probably why Diane was a little bit nervous. And would it seem a little bit like a slap in the face? Like William was pressuring her to kick Kevin out, but then at the same time accepts his son back in. So it's it's a little emotionally, like take the financial part out of it. Emotionally, that would be hard for a mother to like justify and accept. Oh yeah, and then also like if 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 the if she was confronted by Kevin, like why are they there and you let me leave, you made me leave. So like I don't know, I feel like I feel like maybe a little bit more could have been done, like to just mention the fact that they're moving in because of hard times. They are going to contribute to bills, and I would have even said if you get a job and you co- you can come back. You know what I mean? Like I, I would say if I was the mother, I would say if you get a job and provide for yourself and also contribute to the bills of the home that you're living in. Well, that he would wouldn't be good. even be able to do that because one of her rooms is the eBay room, and now the other one, Jeremy and Tina, are in. So there's not even room for Kevin at this point, even if he wanted to come back. I feel, though, that even if you were on the couch in your family house, it's better than living on your couch in your friend's house. Well, actually, Kevin is going to have to come back and sleep on the couch. Oh. And that's because as Kevin's out on his own, his headaches begin to intensify. So much, in fact, that he decides to go see a doctor about them. It is discovered that Kevin wasn't making up his headaches that they were, in fact, symptoms of a brain tumor. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, just a side note here, I've never heard it talked about in any of the articles I've read, but I'm wondering if this tumor, how long he had it, and also if it could have affected his aggression. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, you know that the moment that you said tumor, that's what I thought of? Is it? Good yeah. minds think alike. Uh, yeah, no, totally. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> Well, the tumor, thankfully, is benign, but still needs to be operated on because of the pressure that it was placing on his brain and skull. He would have to have surgery to remove the tumor. And brain surgery is no joke. And it's a long recovery time. And Diane feels terrible because she had just thought Kevin was making up the headache so he wouldn't have to go to work. And now she felt like she had failed her son. She didn't care for him at a time when he needed her most. Diane and William offer Kevin a stay on the couch while he's recovering from his surgery so they can make up for not believing him about the headaches. It was two weeks after Kevin's return home to recover from his surgery that one member of the Kind family would be murdered. It was August 15, 2010, when two phone calls would be placed into 911. 
The first call that was placed would be by Kevin Kine. That afternoon, the neighbors of the Kynes see a man running in his underwear towards their house. The man was screaming, and he seemed to be in a panic. When he got to the door, he began pounding, begging for help, and asking to be let in. When they went to their door, they realized it was Kevin Kine. They saw that he had what looked like a slight burn or red mark around his neck. He couldn't catch his breath, and he appeared to be in shock. When they brought him in and sat him down at the dining room table, he began telling them what happened to him. He claimed that he was taking a nap while watching NASCAR on TV when his father woke him up and told him to go check on his mother. When Kevin got up and he walked down the hallway to his parents' room, he stopped in the doorway. His mother didn't look right. He described her as appearing stiff and black and blue. As he was realizing what was going on, his stepfather attacked him from behind, wrapping his arms around his neck. Eventually, Kevin was able to break free, and he ran away straight to their house. I think he killed my mother, he told them. And he asked if he could use their phone to call 911. I was laying on the couch, and when I went into their room, he started choking me out. And I tried to wake her up as he was I looked at her face, and her face was black and blue. Police are dispatched to the kind home. But minutes later, another call comes in to 911. It's William. Oh, no, Pam! Okay, darling, you're doing all right. Oh, I don't think he's breathing. Oh, please, sir. Very quick. Oh, my son just killed my wife. And my wife were arguing. And he was choking her. So, William is claiming that Kevin is the one who killed his wife. His own mother. So, unclear of what is truly happening, police escort first responders to the scene, storming into the kind house. When they burst in the front door, William is found sitting quietly in his dining room table. He tells those that come in that his wife is in the bedroom. He explains to police that Kevin was fighting with his mother again, but this was such a common occurrence that he just let it go. And then it got silent, so he went to go check on them. He found Kevin on top of his mother, with his hands around her neck. He said he jumped on top of Kevin to get him off of his mother, and a struggle ensued between the two men. Kevin eventually broke free and ran from the house. The paramedics came back into the dining room, and this is when William asked if Diane is dead. But there's a few things that I think are really a little bit off about this whole situation. First, the 911 call, William seems so distraught. He's crying. He's emotional. And when police come, he's like calm, cool, collected. He kind of has it all together. He tells the story matter-of-factly. Like, there's no emotions in him at this point. And also, why wasn't he by his wife's side? Like, why would he have to ask the paramedics if she's dead? Why wouldn't you? What if she wasn't dead and you could have been saving her? It's a little weird. I think because, well, there's so many things you could do in that moment. I mean, if 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 indeed her her son kill like killed her, I would have subdued him and like held him down or done something like gone after him, gone after him. Um, you know, call the cops and say I have you know my son. He just 
killed my wife. I have him right here. You know, bring somebody. Hurry, hurry. And then once, you know, once then when the paramedics get there and everything, then things can be assessed. But, like, to just have that whole scenario kind of pan out where he's running across the street mm-hmm. and now there's two separate phone calls going in, like, trying to – it's almost like, you know – It's very bizarre. You have two different people trying to blame each other. It's oh, yeah. so weird. It's It's really unheard of, and that's what makes this case – really so unique is that you're getting two 911 calls within minutes of each other and the only two people that witness this crime are now blaming each other yeah right it's weird and they're not like running off like far away they're both pretty much staying within a few yards 100 yards of each other of the crime scene so so based on what investigators saw at the scene they made the decision to go to the neighbor's house and arrest kevin and they ask william to come in for questioning As the police are taking Kevin in and speaking to William, the neighbors to whom Kevin ran came out and began talking to police. Their statements were taken and police thanked them. But just as they were about to part ways, the wife of the couple said to the officer, so strange that this is the second woman to die in that house. And the officer stopped her and asked her what she meant. And she said, oh, I thought you must have known about that. And the officer took out his pen and pad again and asked her just what she meant. Wow. That's crazy. Could yeah. you imagine being a police officer and writing like, down that? Being oh, like, my what? God. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, my boss is going to be so happy I'm finding this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Let's take a break to hear from our second sponsor before we find out just what happened in the kind house before the murder of Diane. Okay, let's get back to the show. The neighbor was referring to the first Mrs. Kine months, I'm going to repeat that, months before William and Diane met. His wife, Krista, had a very unusual accident in their home. In the summer of 2000, William Kine reported that he had last seen his wife and mother of their son Jeremy at 2 a.m. He reports that he went up to bed, but Krista stayed up. It was determined that Krista must have wandered outside into her backyard in her pajamas and somehow fell in the pool and drowned. The next morning, William found her floating in the pool. The Seminole police ruled the death of Krista Kine an accident, and because his wife's death was ruled an accident, William was able to receive a very large insurance policy that eventually amounted to a quarter of a million dollars. And now it's happened again. The second Mrs. Kine is murdered in the same house. The same husband set up to inherit, this time an even bigger life insurance policy, when money is extremely tight. However, it is Kevin Kine who has been arrested for the murder of his mother. So at the police station, Kevin admits to the fact that his relationship with his mother was strained. He said that even though she felt bad about not believing him about the headaches, they had easily fallen back into old habits and began fighting again. It was at this point that they were only communicating through emails. In emails that the police found, Diane told Kevin that he needs to get his act together and grow up. She says that he better figure out a new way of life for himself. Next, she alludes to the fact that he's starting to get violent again. 
she said that she will not have him throwing his weight around, yelling or slamming doors under her roof. But this was nothing that they didn't know, because Kevin told them exactly what the email said. He actually requested that police give him a polygraph test. He swore that he would never hurt his mother, that she was truly the only person that he ever had. So when police administer the polygraph test on Kevin, he completely passed it. The investigators now have a he said, he said case on their hands. The only two people who really know what happened that day are blaming each other. And it seems like the only thing that would actually tell the truth would be the crime scene. The Kynes bedroom was only slightly disturbed. The only sign of a struggle was a knocked over lamp and ruffled bedsheets. There were two drops of blood found at the scene, one on the comforter and the other on the leg of Diane. Beyond this, the crime scene and body were further analyzed. In waiting for these results, the police questioned William Kine again, after learning that he was awaiting a ruling on a half a million dollar life insurance policy that he had taken out on his wife, who was a stay-at-home mother. So it's pretty interesting to take out such a large policy on somebody who um, isn't contributing to the wealth of the family. Wait, so he he took out the life insurance policy on her? On her for half a million dollars. See, I never understood that about that because I feel like no other person, whether it be your husband, your wife, should ever be able to take a life insurance policy out on that other person. I like I could see if she... Well, no, no, they did it together, but oh, he's okay. the beneficiary. But it's just an unusually large sum of money. That's for someone who's a stay-at-home well, that's mother. true too. Yeah, like that's that's bizarre. I mean, it's not like she's working, and you know, if something happened to that her, that they wouldn't have that income coming in, so right. they would need it to help them with the household. Exactly. They also have two adult sons, so it's it's interesting. I mean, unless they created the policy in thinking if anything ever happens to me, and William needs to continue supporting Kevin, that could be a factor. But I don't see it being a factor. It's no. a lot of money. So in the interview, William admitted that he was upset that Kevin was released because he was the one that had killed his wife. William still maintains that he's innocent. However, when asked if he went into the room to check on his wife even once, and even after Kevin ran out and there was no threat anymore, he said he didn't want to go inside the room because he thought that it would make it look bad for him and good for Kevin. So, like, you were thinking about Kevin being found guilty. Like, it just seems like such a weird thing. Like, if you were ever attacked and I were to call 911, I would go back to you. Yeah, it, that doesn't make any sense because he's worried about... I wouldn't be about, thinking, oh my God, the crime scene. Right. Well, he's worried about evidence tampering. But here's the thing. His DNA is all over that room. That's his bedroom. She died in the right. bed that they share. Right, exactly. I think what we're trying to say here is that, you know, it doesn't matter if he was in there or not, they would be able to figure out, based on the DNA or whatever else evidence they found right. in the room, if he had any involvement in it. So that's so stupid. There was just no emotionality behind it. And the way that he worded it, it sounded like he was already planning there was like a plan in motion as soon as it happened. That's right. what it sounded like in William's interview. Another side note here that I just want to add, because there was a third male in the house at the time. And 
well, living in the house at the time, and that was Jeremy Kine. But Jeremy and his girlfriend, Tina, were actually out shopping at the time of the murder, and they have a solid alibi because they have a receipt, and they were also captured on the camera at the store they were at. So it's pretty clear that they weren't the ones who were responsible at all or even involved. So when the results from the crime scene testing come in, many interesting facts are revealed. First, it is determined that DNA from William has been found on Diane's neck. However, the two drops of blood that are found on Diane's body and the comforter come back as belonging to her son, Kevin. So it's like the DNA evidence even goes both ways. So this is where things are going to get extremely technical. The transfer of DNA from William to Diane can be explained in two ways. First, they are a married couple who we can assume do touch and transfer DNA all the time. Also, she was lying in a bed that was shared by William Kine as well. So the DNA of William being found on her body was not ever going to be enough for a conviction. However, the drops of blood that were determined to be Kevin's are interesting because according to his story, he never made it past the doorway because that's where his stepfather attacked him. So how did his blood get anywhere near his mother and the bed? In early 2011, Kevin Kine was was formally charged with first-degree murder. He stood trial in 2012. Kevin's defense was that he was being framed by his stepfather for murder, and even possibly that his stepfather was the one who planted that blood on his mother. William wanted Diane dead. Dealing with her and her son was too much, and the money would be a great perk as well. He had done it before, hadn't he? The prosecution brought forth evidence of Kevin's temper, his violence towards his mother, the emails she sent, and the records of all the 911 calls that he made. And at the commencement of the trial, the jury, after five hours of deliberating, found Kevin innocent of first-degree murder, but guilty of second-degree murder meaning that he had killed his mother, but it was not premeditated. It happened in a fit of passion as the two were having an argument, and he was sentenced to life in prison. However, on July 11, 2014, Kevin Kine and his lawyers appealed the case on grounds that the prosecution in the initial trial illegally presented the evidence of Kevin's past violent actions and tendencies. The court upheld this, and reversed the murder conviction. However, they upheld probation because he did fail a drug test. Kevin was officially released from prison in mid-February of 2015. He has since been arrested due to his participation in a brawl that took place at a pool hall in Florida. In a post on his Facebook page, William had this to say, Well, Kevin was found not guilty yesterday evening. I don't understand it. I can't believe it. I can't explain it. It's like a nightmare that keeps on going. You can't wake up. I will say this. God has a reason for it, and all I can do is trust him. To all my family and friends, thank you so much for all of your prayers and support. But William Kine himself has some problems. Recently, like super recently, as in May of 2019, Kine was arrested as it was found out that he was the motorcyclist that intentionally swerved into a group of cyclists. He had apparently been harassing a group of cyclists and then intentionally swerved into them, causing them all to fall down. And one of his victims, who was a doctor, 
suffered from bleeding on the brain and was seriously injured. So it seems like both of those men still have an incredibly dangerous temper. I think, you know what's so crazy? I think that this might have been like a crime of opportunity. Yeah. Because, or the per- like the perfect opportunity to get away with murder. You know, if I, with everything presented to me, I would have to lean towards the fact that I think William had more to do with this than Kevin. I guess just based on the wife before and all the weird circumstances with the life insurance policies, the fact that he was emotionless, the fact that he never checked on his wife's body in the room, um, the fact that he didn't even try to get involved with Kevin if he did kill her. He didn't try yeah. to stop him. Um, and I think that he he was very manip. I think that he actually did a great job in framing Kevin. Yeah, I, I, he does definitely have a manipulation factor. He is kind of a, has a rough around the edges personality where it's definitely hard to feel sympathy for him because of his actions right after the crime took place. Um, it seems like it had almost been all planned. But then at the same time, you have all this past of Kevin's violence towards his mother. But like you said, if it was planned out by William, that that would be the case. Yeah. And here we have DNA evidence of both of them being possible suspects. I th- and I'm just curious to know why, if there was a DNA transfer on Diane's neck from William... Why wasn't there a DNA transfer from Kevin? That's a good point. But I don't. I, I don't know. Like yeah, I'm I don't not know. super technical in that. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. But but what is odd though um, is the blood droplets from Kevin. Right, and then I think his defense was trying to say that they were planted. Um, I don't know. They were only two drops, but I also there were no like scratches or open wounds on Kevin when he was arrested. So where would those drops of blood have come from? Right. But then we also have to be realistic. I mean, that would mean that William would have to have had some sort of like like blood from Kevin from something. Well, he just had a surgery. But it would have to be fresh blood. Yeah. And that's like a stretch. So I do think the blood from Kevin is weird unless, you know how sometimes it could be... No, it was Kevin's blood type. I don't know, which is very bizarre to me because where would the blood have come from from Kevin if he wasn't bleeding when he was arrested? Right. I to mean, be dripping blood, you have to be yeah, bleeding. You have to be bleeding, and I and I think that there's there's one more thing that we can look into. Like, I don't want to get crazy. I don't want to have the tinfoil hat, but I just you always have a tinfoil. I hat. I do always have the tinfoil <laughs> hat because I think it's interesting, and I like to try to go for it. Go, it I'm going to go for it. So, what if they were both involved? Okay, William was the orchestrator. And he might have made some sort of deal with Kevin because Kevin was on hard times. No, these two hate each other. That's true. But if they, but remember, money is a big factor. I, I know, like I said, tinfoil hat, but let me just continue real quick. So if, he, if, he orchestr- if William orchestrated it, they were working together, right? They had a plan, but then Kevin, now realizing after the fact that he was involved in killing his mom, decided not to flip. And to go get William in trouble. And then when he realized that that Kevin was going to do that, he also flipped the script and said, well, now I'm going to get you in trouble now. So they, like, double-crossed each other. Right. So, like, something might have happened in between that to make them flip on each other. 
It's very interesting. I mean, I... I don't know. I mean, that's the tinfoil hat, but something happened, and there's more to this than what the facts are showing us here. Oh, there's 100% more. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if the two got into a fight, meaning Kevin and William, and Diane tried to get into the middle of it, and that was just what ended up happening to her. Who did it? I don't know. Or um, the three of them were having a fight. It's very complicated to say who did this. Well, well it's like DNA goes both ways and the men both have tempers. I mean, you can tell I don't want to say you can tell in your interview in their interviews, but from their actions you can see that these men both get extremely angry and I think they both have the capability of doing so. And I think that Krista Kynes murder well i don't want to say murder because it was ruled an accident a very bizarre accident it gives me like super staircase vibes where you know your first wife dies of unusual things and then your second wife dies under unusual circumstances and it's just you know how many times can that just happen to one person yeah and also he didn't have any love loss for his first wife because Within months, he meets Diane. And then within months after that, within the same year, his wife is killed. Well, his wife drowns in their pool, doesn't even move. Don't you think that's a little traumatizing to your 13-year-old son? Like, her. so now your son is swimming in the pool that his mother died in. So you don't even decide to leave that house. And within the same year, you meet someone else and marry them. It's very unemotional. Like, he's very detached. That's what it seems like from William. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I think I think at the end of this whole entire case that we've been through right now, I think the cop, the cops pretty much said it the best, actually. You have two people that are the only two people that know what happened that night, and they're both blaming each other. Yeah, I think there's two people that know what happened, and it's going to stay that way because I don't think we're ever going to find out. I think in the end, no one is going to pay for the murder of Diane Kine and quite possibly Krista Kine. Yeah, I mean, that's the unfortunate reality of uh, this case. And it's sad, but you never know. Maybe something will come to light one day. I know. This is another, like, whodunit. I mean, people say that Kevin was unjustly sent to prison for this, so then... It has to mean that they think William's done it. But a lot of people still believe that Kevin, because of his past aggressions, is the one who's responsible. So this is a good one. And we'd really love to hear what you think about this case and who you think committed the murder of Diane Kine. Um, Again, guys, as always, we enjoyed bringing this episode to you. And if you like us, you can subscribe and Leave a review on any of the podcast listening platforms that you have. If you want, you can donate to us at patreon.com slash true crime couple. And as always, the most important, important thing is to just spread the word because that's really the best thing that you could ever give us is the gift of more listeners. We love you all. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.